Chapter 15 of Homecraft Rugs, Their Historic Background, Romance of Stitchery, and Method of Making by Lydia LeBaron Walker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joanne Turner. Quilted Rugs. Chapter 15 includes color plates 18 and 19, which may be viewed in the online version of the book. Part 1, Their History and Background. The quilted rug, like the young phoenix of mythology, rises overnight from the ashes of the past to assume its well-merited place in the realms of rugcraft. It has not lived on air for the same prescribed 500 years, but it has actually been centuries since it had any vogue, notwithstanding its prestige of ancient lineage. By strange coincidence, the first quilted rug that comes to us intact pictures a tree, though one cannot assert that the tree is a palm. The glorious blossoms extending up and down its several branches preclude any such theory, for both the flower and leaf proclaim it to be an ancanthus. The delicate traceries of foliage and vine which form a triple border are wrought like the design on the field in yellow, green, red, and white. Apparently, this rug, which is a Persian prayer rug, with the gracefully curved niche characteristic of Persian art, holds a place among quilted rugs comparable to that of the famous Ardabile carpet in Oriental rug lore, since each is apt to be pictured in connection with its special craft, and both are treasured in the Victoria and Albert Museum in London. The two rugs are of Persian workmanship. About 1925, after the art of quilting had been almost forgotten, insofar as its being pursued was concerned, there came a renaissance. From that time on, people have been fascinated by the possibilities of the craft for decorative purposes. Some of the work being done is reminiscent of the choice quilting of the ancients. Birds and flowers, people and animals, ships in full sail, feathers and fruit, etc., are now wrought in the stitchery of indented lines. It is well at the very start to disabuse our minds of the idea that the purpose of quilting is to ornament quilts. It is true that this name for a coverlet comes from the particular form of stitchery which both embellishes and holds together the several thicknesses of goods. The word quilt is derived from the Latin word culcita, going thence through the Old French to kilt and later to the English quilt, passing from the original meaning of a stuffed cushion or mattress to that of a coverlet in the final terminology. America is the proud possessor of a few antique quilted and embroidered rugs, one of which is pictured. It is from the private collection of Dr. Frank Higgins of Boston, who was so fortunate as to find it while traveling through the Orient. He discovered two in a famous rug bazaar in Constantinople, and this one, being by far the finer, was chosen. He had scarcely left the city when he regretted that he had not secured both of the unique art treasures, but it was too late to get the other. He consoled himself with the belief that during further travels he would be able to pick up another. 
though there were many rug marts which lay in his journey's path, no such good fortune awaited him. Such rugs are indeed rare, museums often not having one among their collections of carpets. This particular rug deserves the careful attention of all those who delight in antique rugs and who contemplate following the fashion that prevails for quilting rugs. Not that a rug maker would consider fashioning a prayer rug, which kind this is. A hearth rug or a bath mat would be among the adaptations recommended. The shape of the mirab is distinctly of the Turkish kula type with its straight severity, but the design is definitely Persian. The stitchery itself is, of course, oriental. The actual stitch unit is somewhat baffling as it closely resembles what is now called triangular two-sided Turkish stitch. If such it is, the method of working is different. One is inclined to consider it an authentic Persian stitch, which has a close counterpart in Turkish work. For modern embroidery of quilted rugs, the classic chain stitch is simpler and even older. The colors of this quilted rug are a marvelous blending of hues, that would at first strike one as somewhat incongruous, but so cleverly are they introduced that the exquisite gradations of tone found in nature are caught and held in meshes of silk. The predominating color of the flowers is a rich madder rose, uninterrupted in the border by any other color except touches of pink near the stem. All stems are in black, which also outlines each frond of foliage, embroidered throughout in the same shade of green. There are flecks of light azure hue in the blossoms. Golden yellow evidently indicates buds, for in the full-blown flower, this yellow is subdued to a shade that would result from a blending of the matter and gold tones in a brownish-orange. Before turning from the old to the new quilted rugs, it is interesting to note a few traits of the classic work to help us understand how the craft can be used to perfection today in our rug making. The East Indian quilting is rather more intricate and decidedly more pictorial than that of Persia. No pattern was too minute for the Indian needleworkers to portray with the same faithfulness to detail that a sculptor would evince. Indeed, the time-tinted cast of the centuries-old linen, the smoothness of the textile, with its base relief and stitchery, is worthily likened to carved ivory. This is more definitely brought out by the work being handled in tiled portions rather than all-over patterns, an entire surface being divided into blocks, each with its special picture. Galleys, manned with oarsmen, rigged ships sailing, kings, warriors, castles, all are depicted on a single piece of linen by no other means than a needle and some bits of soft filling cloth between the top and under linen. Heraldic devices sometimes appeared as if done with an engraver's tool and not a sewing needle. When we turn to the Persian quilting, we find a difference in style, which fortunately lends itself admirably to rug making as we would practice it today. The designs are not in miniature to the same extent as in the East Indian. 
they are broader in execution, and color is sometimes present. The quilting is put in more as a background to design than as a pattern in itself. And so we may liken Persian quilting to riposse silkwork with its raised pattern thrust into relief by means of such stitchery that it is, of itself, a thing of beauty. When the design is embroidered, a wealth of loveliness is presented. Stitchery is lavished upon it, yet with a dignity that indicates reserve. The quilted prayer rug illustrated bears evidence of this. An adaptation of early Persian quilting of this sort is found in the quilted India prints. One coverlet comes vividly to mind. The colors in the design are subdued and restful in tone. The needlework varied and intricate, but not too insistent, as its whiteness merges into the body of the fabric, leaving but a faint tracery. Still another variation of quilting is found in the later types in which the running stitch is done in color contrasting with the material. It now becomes a mode of accenting the pattern that does not rely upon lines alone. This calls to mind the old Spanish stitchery known as blackwork. The latter name was applied to it from the fact that it was done in a black medium, like etching embroidery, while the former name referred to the country from which it came. The advent of blackwork into England dates from the time of Henry VIII, for it was his wife, Catherine of Aragon, one of the most famous royal needlewomen, who brought the stitchery of the Moors from Spain when she came from that country to become the queen. More than once in her checkered career, her life hung by as slender a thread as that of the embroidery silk which history relates was around her neck when she was summoned to one of her many trials in court. While the name of the work seems appropriate in consideration of the somber life of the one who brought it to the palace of the king, the other name, Spanish Stitch, is much more felicitous. Since the stitchery was especially the vogue for the decoration of bedrooms, the latter choice is happier. When a vogue calls for black, however, the color seems smart rather than lugubrious, and it is only in looking back on it, when in the midst of an era of gorgeous colorings, that anything peculiar is apparent. Black satin floor cushions are frequently found, and the suitability to the use is considered excellent. So it is that we shall find in quilted rugs that black is a favorite hue for the fabric when satin is employed. In the black satin quilting, however, there is not found the contrast of color characteristic of black work, for the quilting matches the material, while in the Spanish embroidery the etching was in contrast to the linen, the thread being generally gold or yellow. Apart from the black work, the classic color, other than white, is yellow. The reason for the choice of this hue with its shimmer of sunlight is not far to seek. Its likeness to gold is established, and the gorgeous Chinese quiltings that came to England during the reign of King Charles I were actually enriched with threads of gold. Even some of the jeweled gowns of Queen Elizabeth were quilted in gold. So valuable were these threads that in a comparatively short time, 
it became the mercenary fad of fashionable women to drizzle the embroideries, using special tools to pick out the fine gold wires, lest some of the precious metal be lost, and the money gained by selling the gold, so painstakingly collected, diminished. It is unfortunate that so much of the magnificence of old needlecraft has come under the touch of such spoilers, but it helps us to understand the high place of yellow silk, its less costly counterpart in quilting. The reason for the use of yellow does not hold today, although its beauty in the quilting stitchery remains. The use of black and yellow, however, has set a stamp of approval from ancient days to the present time for the employment of color in the quilting. It can be used in these tones or in a special color to emphasize the scheme of the room for which the rug is made. It is this latter employment of color that is in favor today. It was during the time when King Charles I was at the height of his reign that the Pilgrim Fathers set sail for America, and the wives of those ancestral worthies brought with them recollections, if not actual examples, of the magnificent quilting then so sanctioned by royalty. No qualms of conscience prevented them from introducing like splendor into their embroideries, for the pinch of poverty was active in excluding any taint of worldliness that might have crept into the earliest colonial craft. It was stern necessity that demanded extra coverlets for beds, and the materials were found in old clothing. These, after being pieced together, called for extra thickness to provide warmth, and quilting appeared not as fancy work, but as a competent form of stitchery. The quilts made were often called rugs, just as table covers were called carpets. This is misleading when studying old records to find out what kinds of floor covering were in use. It must be remembered, however, that the words carpet and rug have always had such double significance, since a textile heavy enough to be of service as a covering for a bed was also heavy enough to be used on the floor. Today, we use bed coverings in the same way, as instanced in Navajo blanket rugs. Notwithstanding this duplex meaning, there seems to be no reason to believe that colonial quilts, even though called rugs, had any place among the coverings for the bare and drafty floors. There is an excellent reason for this omission. Quilted rugs are floor coverings that bespeak luxury. They are too exquisite to withstand hard wear, belonging as they do in the Occident more to the cushion than the carpet type of covering. In the East, they can stand the wear of unshod feet, and it is there that they originated. During the period when quilting flourished in genuine beauty in America, rugs as we know them today were struggling for existence. They were utilitarian to the highest degree, stout and sturdy, albeit they were not lacking in a folk art of decided appeal. Meanwhile, in continental Europe and England, the interest was focusing increasingly on rugs from the Orient, all of which went under the encompassing generic name of turkey carpets. 
The struggle was to copy them and to make machinery that would weave floor coverings with power looms that would be of approximate worth in the world of textiles. It is not in the province of this present chapter to go more into the details of the difficulties overcome and the competition entailed. They are mentioned merely to indicate the prevailing conditions of this era and to further present reasons why a rug, such as the quilted carpet of luxurious aspect, should have disappeared for so many centuries. In other applications than that of rug craft, quilting was by no means extinct, nor can it ever be, for there is nothing that quite takes its place, even in applied plain sewing. But the art of quilting so far declined during the 19th century that a French needlework book published at that time and of market excellence entirely omits quilting, while an English embroidery book of similar nature describes it as practiced for utilitarian purposes only. It goes on to say, quote, the run-line backgrounds so frequently seen in high art cruel work are intended to imitate oriental quilting, and their designs are frequently taken from old Persian prayer carpets and covers of ceremony, unquote. This reference to the Persian quilted carpets show their high place in handmade floor coverings. In America, we are indebted chiefly to the mountaineer women of the southern Appalachians, and somewhat to the country folk of the New England states, for keeping alive the genuine art of quilting during this period of abeyance. The work is not of East Indian type, with its maze of needle-etched lines, in which the design is laid in cords on a background overlaid with the fine surface linen run down on both sides of the cords. It savors more of the Persian art in which flowers and elaborate geometric patterns are featured. A distinguishing difference found in this country is that the all-over quilting prevails rather than the background stitchery characteristic of the Persian work. Part 2 the craft of the modern quilted rug. Persia and India give precedent for two types of quilted rugs, the prayer rug and the bath mat. As we have seen, it is ill-advised to reproduce prayer rugs. They are too precious and precise in their significance to be bandied about by those to whom the mirab means nothing. The bath mat remains one of perfect adaptability, and linen, the classic stuff, remains also the best fabric for it, though any stout washable goods may be used. But the modernized quilted rug is not confined in its scope to bath mats alone. It reaches out into the field of fabric floor coverings in which embroidery and applique are featured. Two other types present themselves for our consideration. Counting the bath mat as one, the second is the cushioned carpet, a rug of luxury on the order of a floor cushion, flat and sumptuous withal, while the third is betwixt these two. It is not for any specific purpose, as is the bath mat, nor is it so thick and soft as the cushion rug. It is in a class by itself, yet akin to both the others. It has the adaptability of the usual handmade rug in which the textile, the design and coloring are criterions for correct usage.
the materials best suited to the cushioned rug are satin and its counterparts in decorative materials in which silk may be cleverly intermixed with linen or cotton to add durability. A high grade of sateen, such as farmer satin with its remarkable approach to genuine satin in its finish, and glazed chintz in the non-cracking quality, are both excellent. Smart sets are made by having the quilted rug match the down puff in material and in quilting design. Or the coverlet may be an India print and the cushion rug be identical in design but in smaller size. The quilting consists of outlining the chief motifs with a running stitch taken through a wadded interlining. Such sets, while they are distinctly East Indian in type, conform to domestic decorative schemes, being well adapted to colonial bedroom treatment since it was during this era that the importation of articles from India flourished and made a deep impression in period decoration. It will be seen that the quilted cushion rug, like blackwork, is best suited to boudoirs and especially to bedside rugs, where the down equality is welcome to bare feet nor is it any less acceptable to the knees today than it was to the ancient Persians who employed quilted rugs for prayer mats. In children's rooms and in nurseries, quilted rugs are felicitous for their soft texture, which, if coupled with applique ornamentation of mother goose characters or animal or bird motifs, delights little folk. The third type of quilted rug calls for material that will stand much harder wear than that used in either the bath mat or the cushioned carpet, since its purpose is that of a scatter rug. Extra heavy linen in ecru or other colors, heavy flannel, felt, suiting in plain shades, etc. may be used, and even so ordinary a fabric as burlap or denim. The ornamentation may be a border and medallion of applique. The field of the rug should be quilted and the outlines of the applique, but no stitchery should be over any part of the pattern. If embroidery is used, it should be entirely in chain stitch, as this is the one used in the Persian antiques of earliest date. Entire motifs can be filled in with this stitchery, as of old. When we come to the actual making of the quilted rug, we find that there are no difficulties of craftsmanship presented even to an amateur. The stitchery is always the ordinary running stitch, taken along the lines prescribed by a pattern. The preparation for the quilting consists of tacking with loose basting stitches, a wadding of soft, fluffy cloth such as outing flannel, canton flannel, eiderdown cloth, cotton or wool wadding, etc., in one or more thicknesses onto a foundation that forms the back of the rug, and again basting over this interlining the fabric for the surface. As quilted rugs are not of large dimensions, the work need not be put in a frame, provided the directions given are carefully followed, and the foundation and each succeeding layer of cloth is kept even and straight. It is necessary to put the layers together on some large table or on the floor when a frame is not used. When once the parts are all basted together, the danger of any portion slipping is overcome.
any ornamentation other than the quilting that is to be on the rug should be done prior to the putting together of the portions. When a frame is used, the quilting is done when the rug is on it. In lieu of a rug frame, curtain stretchers may be used. Another method of preparation for quilting is to baste the interlining to the wrong side of the rug surface, and after the quilting is done, to sew the outer lining portion in place. This method is advisable for scatter rugs, the third group, and for some bath mats. Cushion rugs are done in the first way, for the stitchery should go all the way through the rug. There are many different ways of marking quilting patterns on rugs. The simplest is when the design consists of straight lines. These may be in horizontal and vertical rows forming squares, or be in uncrossed groups of diagonal lines in double or triple groupings, or they may cross and form diamonds, thus making the quaint gamboised quilting. In all of these uses of straight lines, the design can be indicated on most fabrics by folding and pressing the goods before attaching the surface, so marked, to the rest of the rug. Nothing but accuracy in folding and pressing is required to bring out the pattern. A second method which can be followed with all designs, however intricate, is to outline the pattern faintly with pencil on the rug surface, knowing that time and the rub of wear will shortly make the marks invisible or the design may be traced over impression paper and thus transferred to the rug. In England, one method mentioned is to have the pattern distinctly outlined on tissue paper basted to the rug surface. The stitching then is done through the paper. Considering the fragility of tissue paper, this method seems precarious. However, transparent papers are to be had that are stronger than ordinary tissue paper. These may be used. Another old-time method that is admirable is to have a zinc mold quilting motif. From this, the pattern can be traced, or the mold itself, which is flat and firm, can be caught to the rug with a few stitches, and then the running outlines be made about it. Frequently, the rug maker, by repeating the motif in different positions, can form designs of genuine grace and beauty. Old zinc quilting motifs are treasured. One, an heirloom owned by the writer, is in itself a thing of beauty, with its patina of age toning the metal artistically. The fact that it served over a century ago to add ornament to many a quilt made in Philadelphia and its environs lends an atmosphere of charm to the quaint pattern, now used as a wall decoration when not pressed into actual service again. In some of the early quilting, the entire design was marked on the wrong side of the work and the stitchery was done from that side also. It is a method followed in Europe today and is one to be highly recommended. In rug making, the design goes on the interlining. It may be stamped or marked in any of the ways described. It does not show when the rug is completed. Base the interlining with the design side uppermost onto the wrong side of the rug. Run the design through both thicknesses of goods. It may be interesting to note in passing that 
When the ancient quilters used this method of embroidering on the wrong side, they used chain stitch so evenly done that on the right side there appeared unbroken outlines, each stitch exactly meeting the other in the identical needle holes. Expert quilters often make their own quilting designs, using such simple motifs and molds as a saucer or a plate. The round motif is known in historic ornament as the rondelle. When semicircles made with the saucer come in alternating placement in straight rows, a design is made which in historic ornament is known as the fish scale. In colonial parlance, it goes by the name of the shell pattern. Segments of circles arranged in tiers form a pattern not unlike an open fan, by which name it is called. All these are excellent quilting designs for rugs, but also more pictorial patterns are appropriate, especially when the indented stitchery forms the sole ornamentation. Birds, flowers, singly, or in baskets or vases, ships, and scenes can all be employed as quilting patterns. The feather design is extremely popular, and crests and shields are in high favor. Elaborate designs are not shunned, but sought. The familiar method of snapping chalk designs on quilts is not feasible for quilted rug designs. Distances are short, and it is easier to mark them than to snap them. Stitches should be as fine as the thickness of the work permits, sewing the lining in last after the design has been run through the two upper layers, allows for finer work than when all layers are quilted together. Corded quilting is considered an up-to-date method of work that has much to recommend it. It is the essence of simplicity with marvelous results. In this, designs are simple and are run each side of the lines of the pattern. A hollow tube is formed between the parallel rows of running stitches taken through two thicknesses of fabric. Through these tubes, or spaces between lines, a filling cord is run. Gay cord run between thin materials shows through, giving a fascinating shimmer of color. In rugs, the fabrics are too heavy for tones to be visible, but the quilting thread can be in color. The corded quilting brings out designs in relief most interestingly. The cords cannot form the sole wadding in rugs, as it does in other articles, for floor covering requires a soft padding for the fill design as well as for the tread. Unless a person knows how to do corded quilting, it appears difficult, while in reality it is as easy as running ribbon in lingerie. The underfabric must be of a loose weave. In rugs, burlap is advised and it is on this that the design is stamped or otherwise marked. A bodkin, or ribbon runner, is threaded with loosely twisted soft cord, such as comes in dressmaker's supplies, or roving, or candle wicking, etc., in white or natural color. The tip is inserted at edges of work when lines are straight, and the threaded bodkin is pushed through the space between the lines until it emerges at the end of the tube across the rug, if it is a gamboised or checkerboard pattern. Each space between lines is so run until the pattern appears in full relief. 
If the design is more complicated, as it is apt to be, the bodkin is inserted through interstices in the goods readily made large enough because of the looseness of the weave. Also, it should be inserted at some point where it would be natural for the design to start, and it must follow some definite course indicated by the design. To finish, the bodkin is pushed out through the loosely woven lining, and the cord is clipped close to the work. In the coarse quilting of modern rug craft, it is advisable to use a needle and thread and catch the cord ends to the lining. In fine work, this is not necessary, as the pressure of the quilting is sufficient to hold the cords in place. And it may be in rug making, but by catching the ends, security is assured. When the entire design has been thus run, the rug is ready to be interlined, lined, and finished off. While this up-to-date method has a distinct appeal because of its simplicity, it is not, in truth, modern. The early Persians used it some. The Indian quilting is a marvel of corded stitchery. The Persians employed a linen sufficiently sheer for running cords of blue to show through and accent the design, done either in chain stitch or running stitch in their favorite embroidery color, yellow. These two tones, yellow and blue, brought out the delicate creamy hue of the linen, creating a symphony in color and stitchery. When the thread used in the running stitches in the modern corded rug is in color, this ancient style is evidenced strikingly. Handsome rug materials lend themselves best to corded quilting. Quilting is so chaste a form of embroidery that it lends dignity to fabrics and charm to designs. In the smart cushion rug, it alone supplies character to beauty of materials. In bath mats, applique is apt to unite with stitchery to complete the decoration. There can be no more appropriate bath mat than the quilted one. It is soft and absorbent, gratifying to the feet, and a sufficient protection for the floor. It washes like a towel. If a simple applique pattern is chosen and the diamond gamboise quilting pattern is used, the rug can be made in a few hours and be distinctive. This is also true of the applique quilted scatter rug. In this, the indented stitchery frequently is more ornamental, but not necessarily harder to do. Each type of quilted rug has individuality. End of chapter 15